0: Hello and welcome to Nobody's Perfect, a place for understanding the strengths and weaknesses of all of us in an effort to make us all better by learning from one another, including by the mistakes we make. For LocalJobNetwork.com Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Education in the United States has been one of the most hotly debated topics for a while now, and though many factors play a role in the success or failure of each school, teachers are definitely in the spotlight. Perhaps the most difficult aspect is evaluating the effectiveness of educators and, of course, how then their compensation should be determined. Joining us from Ohio is Tony Bagshaw, Managing Director of Human Capital at Patel for Kids. Tony, thanks for coming on with us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: If you could, before we get into the the subject itself, give the listeners an idea of of where you're coming from, what your company does, and your role with them as well.
1: Well, for 21 years, I was a practitioner. I've actually, if you count grant work and summer work, I've been a teacher and an administrator at the elementary level, middle school level, and high school level. Then I worked at the central office where I held several roles. So I actually was an HR director. I was a curriculum coordinator and a data and testing guy. And I'm coming up now on my fifth year at Battelle for Kids. Um, I'm in my third position here for uh, two years. I oversaw all of our work in Ohio. And then, in, uh, then I started our human capital group with a bunch of folks and uh, oversaw some work in Tennessee. And I'm actually now in my third position where my current job is I work with uh, several pretty talented teams on all of our innovation work.
0: Great. Well, obviously, you have a a lot of diversity with that, uh, with this kind of subject, so that's good.
1: Yeah, and and over, just to give you some perspective on Patel for Kids, we're a not-for-profit. We've got uh, over 100 folks. We're headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. We work in 26 states across the country, work in Hong Kong. Really, our work is in four areas, one of which we're talking about today. Uh, we kind of build our work around the right people, which is our human capital work, our, the right practices, which is a lot of professional development work, uh, the right metrics. So as, as we talk about this human capital work, we're going to talk about metrics quite a bit today, and then the right messages, which is uh, a lot of work in the communication space. So that gives you a little perspective on Battelle for Kids.
0: Sure. No, we definitely appreciate it. And for people to know where you're coming from, both personally with your experience and then the organization as well, when we kind of think about these ideas uh, of evaluating teachers or or that sort of thing, how can we first of all define an effective teacher? And I use that term. um, I did teach for a couple of years in all of my training. That was always a term that they brought up. So what are some of the skills, qualities that really you point to if you're looking at an effective teacher?
1: You know that's a that's a really really good question, um, and and it's it's one that, as you point out, it's it's right at the epicenter of, of educational reform in America. So, hmm. you know, you're going to get a lot of different answers depending on who you ask. Um, I I tend to break that effectiveness into really four quadrants. Um, a lot of it's based on a, a, a gentleman by the name of Robert Quinn's work out of Michigan. But if you can kind of picture um, four quadrants and one of those – and really it comes out of – it's not just the world according to Tony. It comes out of our study (laughs) of highly effective teachers. We've been studying um, teachers that produce superior value-added gains for about four or five years now. Mm -hmm. So really one of the things that I look for in effective educators is that they have really high expectations for kids. And that doesn't really mean that I just um, really throw out really hard content and and sort of hope everybody hits the bar. It's about having individual high expectations for kids and knowing your kids well enough to know uh, what that means. Um, What we hear consistently with those folks is that they are great at creating relationships with kids. And it is is, uh, absolutely a fact that kids work harder uh, for teachers that they believe care about them on an individual level, so that would be the second bucket. I guess my third one would be something around they're they're very good classroom managers. Um, you know, they're good at creating routines in classrooms where kids really know what to expect, which brings um, you know a lot of efficiency to the classroom. But yet at the same time they're really good at reinventing themselves which each class of kids they they recognize those teachable moments they understand when it's time to go off script they understand when it this just isn't working and let's do something else and mm-hmm. what we're finding is those really really good teachers have the ability to keep all of those things in balance um, now, certainly, if you, if you read a lot about this subject, you're, you're going to hear you know, a lot about Charlotte Danielson's framework, which I think is really high-quality work that spells things out in more specificity, but in my mind, those are sort of the four domains that I tend to think about.
0: With all that said, I was kind of wondering this myself, and if you look back over the last maybe couple decades, how has the, maybe the role of the teacher or the responsibility changed a little bit, even if it's just per, you know the perception of parents or or the community, How has that changed maybe in recent years?
1: Well, I think it's changed radically. Um, and, and I'll date myself here and and go back to <laughs> <laughs> go back to my first year in the classroom as a math teacher which was 86 87 and uh, you know it, it truly you know there were rumors of courses of study but I, I'm not sure that we really paid a great deal of attention to those I mean it really was the job was uh, about um, and I considered myself a very very good teacher but it was radically different than it is now mm-hmm. you know the the accountability of is so much more uh, extreme. The I, I think as a as a nation we have raised the bar on the teaching profession, and and when you look at data and you know that uh, teacher efficacy has the most profound impact uh, on students. You know, I, when I speak to groups of teachers, I say, "Hey, I got good news and I got bad news." The good news is you make more difference than anything else in terms of how students progress. The bad news is you make more difference than anything else. <laughs> um, so so it truly has changed a, a, a great deal, and, and, and I think the stakes are a heck of a lot higher. And what we've – at the same time that we've raised the stakes from a societal standpoint, I think the things that we perceive as being within the purview of the classroom teacher is much broader at this point. Uh-huh. So we've raised the bar, and we've added a lot more things to the teacher's bucket, and and I think we've made it a really, really challenging job at this point
0: let's look at that a little bit because you talk about, you know, obviously there's a lot more uh, that we're looking to from our teachers. And uh, when you're, when, maybe when you're in a school district or you're at a particular school and you're trying to determine, okay, who do we bring into our classroom? Who's going to be that best fit? I mean, that clearly seems extremely daunting and you're talking about the importance of these positions, but what sort of things do you or your organization would you tell a school, a district to focus on in terms of who's going to be that, that right piece? I mean, do you have a a breakdown of really what they should look for or what's most important, that sort of thing? Yeah, you know,
1: that's a great question. And it's one that we could likely spend a couple of hours on just this particular topic. Um, I will tell you this, we we recently, well, we're putting the finishing touches on a monograph piece, we developed a statistical overlay and, and analyzed international test scores and ended up visiting five different sites. And we recently just had four of those sites here in Columbus for a two-day global education summit. And those were uh, Singapore, Ontario, Canada, Finland, and Hong Kong. And one of the the absolute themes that comes out of those countries is that they are really, really – Trying to control for quality up front. Hmm. So this whole notion of hiring practices is something that I have a a lot of really deep passion around. Um, And so, yes, I have a lot of specific things that I would Um, would tell people to consider. But the number one thing that we advocate for organizationally and do a lot of work around is the design of what we call multiple data point hiring systems, where you consider there are multiple talent-based tools out there in the market that one can consider. I'm a big believer in what you call uh, performance interviews. Um, you know, writing samples. I mean, sure. I, I don't want to go down the laundry list and turn this into a, you know, a, a consultation around multi data point hiring systems. But I think your focus is right minded. And I, I believe that it's probably going to be the next uh, frontier in educational reform. That's personal opinion.
0: Well, I wanted to ask this part specifically as I actually went through this and it was uh, it was a little daunting at first for me, my situation going into teaching was a little different, but is there, uh, is there a strategy? Is there a, um, a benefit from maybe you have a couple top candidates that you're looking to bring in and you throw them in to teach a lesson or two in the classroom to really see, okay, how do they really react and interact that sort of thing? Does that have any merit to that or is that, I mean, is that too much for show? What's your take on that?
1: No, I, I think it's I, I think it has tremendous merit. I actually did that as a building principle. It's one of the things that that we use in our consulting practice. Okay, when you describe it, that's what I would call a performance based interview. And you can design those for principals. You can design them for right. uh, lots of different ways. But no, the the only drawback to, to any type of performance based interview process is they are exceptionally time consuming. Hmm. So you don't want to try to implement a performance based system with a, a you know an N of twenty. Um you just simply don't have time to do that. So, you know, you want to do a lot of, of really smart things that'll sort of, if you can sort of envision a candidate pool as working its way through a funnel, okay, you want to reserve those performance based pieces for that real bottom part of the funnel where where you actually are in a position that you have You've narrowed it down to, as you point out, your two or three finalists, and then you want to spend that large chunk of time with those two or three finalists. Well,
0: let's jump in then a little bit into a you know a conversation about evaluating evaluating current teachers and ones that are actually already in the classroom. Uh, you know, at someone's particular school, obviously, what really are the biggest challenges in terms of actually evaluating what they do and what they bring to the table?
1: Well, that's another very lengthy conversation. Um,
0: <laughs> no, I understand. I know we yeah. got to speak in generalities, and, and I, we only have yes a short amount of time. I, but I mean, there got to be particular things, maybe.
1: Okay, let let me see if I can give you some some specifics of some things that'll at least frame the conversation for you know a, a pretty broad audience. One of the things that that I think is particularly challenging when you design evaluation systems, first of all, I would say that we are pushing teacher evaluation to you know at a breakneck pace towards psychometric precision when i'm not completely convinced that that psychometric precision in evaluating the individual contributions of people exists to a great deal in any profession, I have consulted with a tremendous number of business professionals, and they tell me they're having some of the same, you know, challenges that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of times, folks push back against that, and they say, "Well, you know, in business, you have money as the bottom line, and that's clearly easy to quantify." To which I say, "I'm not sure I agree with that." Just because, uh, well, for, <laughs> let me give you an example. Um, if you were a realtor in 07 and 08 and weren't making a tremendous amount of money, I'm not sure that tells me that you're a lousy realtor. Um, that was a pretty tough market to be in. Right. So I think one of the things I would say is that there isn't much that's much more complex than trying to truly quantify the growth of human beings. And then on top of it, trying to parse out the individual contribution of one person to the growth of that group of human beings. I think it's really tough to do. Um, I think one of the things that's also complicating this space is we are mixing systems and trying to design a single system that serves both a formative purpose and a summative purpose. And a formative purpose is basically information that I'm giving you as another person, as your supervisor, that's going to help you grow. I'm asking you to bear your soul to me. I'm asking you to say these are the things I do well. These are the things I find really challenging. That's a formative system. Mm-hmm. We're also then turning right around and saying, oh, by the way, I'm also the guy that decides whether you work here next year. Okay? That's a summative decision, and there are some purists that would say that no single system can serve both those purposes. The third challenge that, that we have as, as we're trying to create evaluation systems in education is that uh, we are pushing principles. There are two traditional roles of principals. In the perfect world, principals spend all of their time in classrooms. Okay, They are observing teachers. They are saying, Hey, it looks to me like um, you need some help in creating um, clear learning targets and student friendly language for your kids. let me let me send you down to see Mrs. Jones so you can, because she's really, really good at that, okay? right that That is a instructional leader role. And it don't get me wrong. It is the right role. But at the same time, we have assumed that all of the management responsibilities that principals have have just evaporated and gone away. And it just simply isn't true. (laughs) You know, they're they're, um – People are still gonna call when Susie doesn't make the cheerleading squad. Um, there are still kids that that do things that maybe they shouldn't do every day, and somebody's got to deal with all of that. Right. There are still, you know, mandates that come from wherever that uh, principals have to go to the board office and be briefed on how to comply with those mandates, you know, wherever they came from. So I, I think we're trying to some degree. One of the challenges is we're trying to shoehorn much higher expectations. In one realm into the same, there's only so many hours in a day. Um, so I, I think that's one of the challenges. And then the final challenge I would give you is um, it's about metrics. It's about how do, you, how do you truly quantify productivity in an educational setting. Um, I'll assume at some point in this conversation we're going to talk about value-added metrics and the pros and cons of those. But how does one quantify this well is another challenge.
0: Well, and that that does lead a little bit into. I mean, I originally looked to you guys because uh, you know we're headquartered in Wisconsin, which, you know, for those who have been paying any attention, have been a, a big, big focus in terms of teachers and unions and pay and salary and evaluating teachers. So the idea that some places are looking into or utilizing compensating teachers based on performance, and again, that lends us to this conversation of well, how do you gauge if one teacher is better than another, um, as opposed to just getting Uh, pay raises based on experience and and education type credits. So where do you start determining that when you're talking about metrics or how you gauge a teacher's effectiveness? Because obviously things like test scores and classroom grades, you think, oh, well, those those are hard, solid figures you could go with. But I mean, I think anybody could realize that stuff can be manipulated and there's a lot of unfairness to that. So where do you even start to Determine who gets paid what if you're going off of this performance-based type system.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's a grand question. I I, I think that uh, the first place I would start is is realizing as a and I'll answer this from a from a LEA a, a local school district perspective. Sure. That. that um, you know the first thing you need to understand is there are two conversations there. One is a should we conversation, and the other is a how do we conversation. Right. Uh, and you better be really serious about the first one because you're not dabbling in a space that is that is casual. You know, if if in a, in speaking specifically to the metrics conversation, and I'll speak specifically about value added, um, because it it really is. Um, uh, a metric that is it's an analysis it's a longitudinal analysis of test scores okay and the the whole attempt of those those value added models is to parse out growth and did you know what would we expect the kids to score and what did they score and then attributing that, that either that growth or lack of growth to either the district or the building or at the individual teacher level. Uh-huh. Obviously, that's a pretty complex process, and you can have all kinds of conversations in there. You can say, you know, our goal in America is not really to create the greatest bunch of test takers in the world. Okay, we want productive human beings. Now, could we argue that the ability for kids to score on those tests is a proxy for how much they – of course we can and there are people that make that exact argument. I guess I would say that um, I'll try to bring some coherence to the value-added question by painting the, the two extremes that I tend to see. Um, extreme one is the camp that believes that the metric is flawed, that the science is such that, that it doesn't really tell us anything. There's too much volatility in the metric. And I will tell you as a guy who's worked with it for a long time, I just don't personally believe that. And I have a lot of evidence to the contrary. Okay. Now, the other extreme – is the people who believe that the value-added metric is the holy grail, that it tells us everything we need to know about the efficacy of a teacher. We want to take one year's worth of data uh, with an end size of 22 kids in a fifth-grade classroom and say Mrs. Smith didn't produce the growth we would have expected, therefore we need to make a high-stakes human capital decision on this data. I just, I, that's just wrong, and, and, and I, I just I, I can't ever support that. Okay. So I, I tend to fall somewhere in the middle on the value metric, metric itself. I do think if you have a large enough in size and, for instance, you've got a seventh-grade math teacher um, who has had 140 kids a year, and we have evidence that, that that growth is is not where we would want it to be, and we can look in the mirror and know we have worked with that person. We have tried to help them Grow throughout those three years. It tells us something. It tells with a large enough end size, it does tell us something about the productivity of the building, particularly at the district level as well. But um, the smaller the sample size, you have to be careful, and and I think it has to be balanced with all kinds of other data. For instance, what is the what is the perspective of the principal in that building, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Well that'll wrap up part one of our conversation centered around the evaluation of teachers with Tony Bagshaw, Managing Director of Human Capital at Patel for Kids. We spent a lot of our time determining what makes an effective teacher, different ways to try and measure success, particularly when looking to compensate based on performance. In part two we examine more of the other factors to consider as well as how teachers can really sell themselves to employers, even take a parental point of view on evaluating your child's teacher. To find the continuation of our discussion, go to localjobnetwork.com and click on the radio tab near the top of the screen. Then go to On Demand Radio and look for Evaluating Teachers Part 2. If you have any questions or suggestions, please email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Wishing you success in all your endeavors, I'm Tim Muma. You've been listening to localjobnetwork.com radio.